you're listening to the Mission Church Podcast. We hope that you'll be encouraged and built up in your relationship with Jesus as you hear the preaching and teaching of God's Word. If Mission Church is not your home church, it is our heart that this podcast will be supplemental and not a substitute to you belonging to a local church in your community. If we can help you get connected to a church in your community, please let us know. Now we hope you enjoy the message from our Sunday gathering. What's up, Mission Church? My name is Travis, and I'm the pastor of Preaching and Theology here at Mission. Happy Easter. He is risen. He is risen indeed. If you got a Bible, go ahead and open up to Hebrews chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible and you'd like to follow along, feel free to check out the screen below. You can follow along there. Today is the most important day, if not the most important day ever in the life of a Christian. But not only is this an important day for the Christian, but I believe this is such an important and influential day in history. If you think about it, Christianity is the largest movement in the world. Nobody has more songs about them, more books written about them, and more paintings about them than Jesus Christ. Even our very time is measured by Jesus. Think of BC before Christ and AD at Anno Domini, which is the year of our Lord. And what about the two largest and most celebrated holidays of the year? Are they not Christmas, which is Jesus's birth, but also Easter, which is Jesus's resurrection? And I don't know about you, but there is a ton of excitement in my home, especially during this time of the year. Just the other day, my daughter walked into my house and she held up a bag of my favorite candy that only comes out during this time of the year, Cadbury mini eggs. One of my daughters went over to her grandmother's house and made a bunch of cookies and brought them home. And guess what I did with each and every cookie I ate? I stuffed one of those mini eggs right inside of them. Why? Because they're absolutely delicious. Many of you, you look forward to chocolate. Maybe you look forward to jelly beans. Maybe you look forward to peeps. There's others of us who are not looking forward to candy as much as we are looking forward to rest. This is spring break, and so many students have been enjoying spring break right now. Staying up late, getting up late, not doing school, doing whatever they want. Some of you parents are actually looking forward to when spring break is over because that is when rest and peace will come into your life because you're going to send kids back to school. There's others of us who just simply are looking forward to the weather changing. We enjoy the cooler weather where it's not too hot, but it's not too cold. We can leave our windows open and allow the air to go through our houses. We see our trees, like trees, leaves start to come back. Flowers start to bloom. Others of us celebrate a birthday during this time of year and get to see family and friends. But have you ever wondered why it is you look forward to these things? Why do you look forward to candy, to breaks, to holidays? Why do you look forward to family and friends and better weather? I think it's because many of us are longing for peace. Many of us are longing for rest. But do you really get the rest and peace that you hope for and that you long for in these things? I would say no. You see, they are good things, but friends, they are not lasting things. Remember those Cadbury mini eggs. The joy is only momentary, is it not? I mean, I'm sure I'm not the only one who can eat an entire bag by themselves. And when I do that, do I have peace and rest? No, I have a bellyache and I have guilt. All of you who are enjoying spring break right now, guess what? It is going to come to an end. And even parents who are looking forward to sending their kids to school, guess what's going to happen in a couple months? Summer vacation and they're going to be right back. And when we think of weather, though we put a lot of joy in it, does it not change? We know what is coming as soon as this cooler weather goes away. 110 and 115. People have tried to tell me, hey Travis, well it's a dry heat. And I'll say, yeah, but so is a flamethrower. And with birthdays, though they are fun, what ends up happening? The 20s give way to the 30s, the 40s to the 50s, the 60s, and so on. We get older and we get hotter and the peace is gone. 
Some of you watching right now, you're thinking, great, happy Easter. I'm so glad I tuned in, but I need you to hang with me for a few moments. All I'm saying is that during this time of the year, many of us are trying to find ultimate peace and rest and good things, even God-given things, but they are not ultimate things. They are not lasting things. The reason that today is so important for so many believers is because Jesus' resurrection does not have an expiration date. He will not rise from that grave to go back to it. All other religions have tombs in which their founders are enshrined and their remains reside. People make pilgrimages to those each and every year. Yet Christianity alone is the only religion that says that its founder cannot be found in a tomb. We don't even know where Jesus' tomb is. We can speculate. We can go try to excavate it. But if you and I do that, guess what? We're not going to find anything. Why? Because he is risen. He is not here. You see, Jesus does not have a tomb that we can commemorate where we put flowers to. And this is so significant for Christians because Jesus is alive. He has overcome Satan, he's overcome sin, and he's overcome death. And all of those who are trusting in Jesus have also overcome Satan, sin, and death. And what is the result of the empty tomb? It's peace, it's rest. And so many during this time of the year are clinging to a peace and a rest that will not last. When God has come to offer an everlasting peace that will fill your hearts for all eternity. So, it's Easter Sunday and there is rest and peace. How is that possible? That is a great question. Look with me in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 20. Here's what we read. Now may the God of peace who brought from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. Who does the author of Hebrews say our God is? He is a God of peace. Yet this God of peace is not only one who is peace, but the language seems to communicate he is one who brings peace into our lives. But why did God bring peace? I don't know about you, but I think we could definitely use some more peace in our world. All you have to do is turn on the news. Just scroll through your social media feed. Just sit in the Costco gas line and you will see that we are so divided. I've, I don't think I'm the only one who has witnessed this past year our nation being so divided over politics and masks and racial tension and vaccines and toilet paper. I even lamented to my wife at a coffee shop, is it just me or does it seem like everybody is always angry, suspicious, and almost like ready to snap at a moment's notice? How would you handle and bring peace to each and every one of these tensions? How would you bring peace to this divide? I've asked people this and they've given me basically three reasons. Many of them have shared with me how they hopelessly try to heal this divide through education, through politics, and through social causes. Now don't misunderstand what I'm saying. These things aren't necessarily bad. Education can be a good thing. Politics can be a good thing. Social causes can be a good thing. All I am saying is that they are insufficient saviors. True or false, are we more educated than any other time in history? True. Are we more political than any time in history? True. Are we involved in more social causes than any other time in history? True. And true or false, are we just as divided as all those before us? True. You see, the Bible communicates that only God is true peace and the only one who can bring peace in our lives. How? Through the resurrected Lord Jesus. I mean, have you ever thought about why we are so divided? The Bible says it's because of sin. But what is sin? 
Many of us tend to mistakenly think that sin is nothing more than a mistake, like spilling the milk or forgetting to take out the trash. Others of us think of sin as nothing more than just doing something bad, like lying, cheating, and stealing. But sin is not only doing bad things, it's fundamentally making good things, even God-given things, into ultimate things. One pastor says it like this, Sin is building your life on anything, even a very good thing, more than God. Whatever we build our life on will drive us and enslave us. I'd even argue it would divide us. He says this, Sin is primarily idolatry. You see, many of us are about to take tests or final exams. And let's say that somebody decides to cheat on their final exams. What reason would you give for why they are cheating? Some of us will say they're a bad person, they're a sinner. Sure, but what is the root of it? Could it be through the accumulation of good grades they have gained a status and an approval with others that's more important to them than God and His favor? Let's say somebody decides to lie on their income taxes. Why would they do that? You might say they're a bad person and they're a sinner, and sure, that might be true, or that is true. But what is the root of that issue? Could it be through the accumulation of wealth they've gained a power and a comfort that is more important to them than God and His favor? So what have you given God-like weight in your life? When you and I live for anyone or anything other than God, that does not make us neutral towards God. That does not make us neutral towards others. It doesn't bring peace. Why is that? It's because you and I, whenever we give God-like weight in our lives to something else, it, makes us, it puts us in a place of war with God, and it puts us in a place of division with other people. That is why there is no peace in this world. C.S. Lewis, who is the author of The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe in the Chronicles of Narnia series, he says it best like this when he says, Fallen man is not an imperfect creature who needs improvement. He's a rebel that, who must lay down his arms. That is why the author of Hebrews tells us that the God of peace brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant. What does that mean? Well, if the essence of sin and idolatry is you and me substituting ourselves or something else for God, then the essence of salvation, friends, is God substituting himself for man. Let me say that again. If the essence of sin is idolatry, and idolatry is you and me substituting ourselves or something else for God, then the essence of salvation is God substituting himself for man. You see, mission, the Bible is clear. Because of our rebellion, we deserve to die and be separated from God for all eternity. Yet the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans. And don't miss this. The Apostle Paul, was he an enemy or a friend of Jesus all, before in his life, before he knew Christ? Was he an enemy or a friend? He was absolutely an enemy. He was an ardent opponent of Jesus, literally going around and arresting Christians and throwing them into jail and sentencing them to death. You see, he was all about trying to obliterate the name of Jesus. But here in the book of Romans, we see that. What is he doing? He's trying to make more Christians, more disciples and followers of Jesus. How could somebody who is such an ardent opponent of Jesus now become one of his chief defenders? I would say because he experienced the peace that comes from the resurrected Jesus. And listen to what Paul says in the book of Romans. He writes in Romans 3.23 this, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What is the Greek word for all? It's pontus. It just simply means all, everyone. Each and every person, you, me, and everyone we see have what? Fallen short of the glory of God. 
And what do you and I deserve? Well, Paul talks about that three chapters later in Romans 6, 23. He says this, for the wages of sin is death. A wage is a payment. And what is the payment we deserve because of our sin? Death. Yet what follows this word or follows this part of the verse is some really good news because it uses the word but. And I love the word but in the Bible because what usually follows that word is good news. And listen what it says. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You've got to love the big buts of the Bible because they cannot lie. And what follows this but? Really good news. That eternal life comes through what? What you and I do? What you and I can accomplish? No, eternal life is given to us by a gift from God through the resurrected Jesus. You see, God in love sent Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, from John chapter 10, the one who lays down his life. He sent Jesus into this world to do what? To live the life you and I were meant to live. To die the death you and I were meant to die. But then to also resurrect again declaring that what he did is enough to reconcile all those who believe in him to God and to one another. You see, the resurrection is like God stamping, uh, God's way of stamping paid in full across history so nobody can miss it. And what is the result of the resurrection? What is the result of those who trust in Jesus? It is peace peace with God, and peace with one another. What you have to understand is that the moment you trust in Jesus, the resurrected Lord Jesus, God becomes your father, and other Christians, friends, become your brothers and sisters. And Jesus is your eldest brother who is a king, a king that is above every king, one who has a throne that is above every throne. And what you've got to understand is he cannot and he will not abdicate that throne. He will not be voted off that throne. He will not share that throne with another. And the moment you and I trust in him and realize that God is our father and that other Christians from every nation, people, tribe, and tongue are our brothers and sisters, we will lay down our arms and joyfully live in peace with them. Why? Because Jesus is alive. You see, Jesus does not just bring peace by reconciling us to God and one another, but we also know that the resurrected Lord Jesus brings peace throughout the various circumstances we face in life. You see, King Jesus is the only one who has defeated death, and that brings peace into our lives. Every single person in our world is gripped by fear. We have all been awakened to the fact that we will one day die. Last time I checked, the positivity rate for death is right around 100%. It is certain and true. It's going to happen. Yet for those of us who are trusting in Jesus, we know because Jesus conquered the grave, guess what? You and I who trust in him will also conquer the grave. Death will not have the final say. It will not have the final victory. Why? Because Jesus has defeated death. Friends, I need you to hear me clearly. It is only the resurrected Lord Jesus that can bring peace into your lives. Masks cannot bring peace into your lives. Stimulus checks cannot bring peace into your lives. Vaccines will not bring ultimate peace in your lives. Why? Because each and every person who gets a mass stimulus check and a vaccine is one day going to what? Die. Those cannot remove the sting. 
Only Jesus and Jesus alone, the resurrected Lord Jesus, can remove the sting of death and bring the peace of God into your life. And that is what we are doing here this morning. We are celebrating the fact that Jesus has rose from the grave. Friends, if Jesus has not rose from the grave, then all we have is nothing more than a display of love with no hope, for we're still in our sins. If Jesus didn't step out of that grave, guess what? We are not reconciled to God. We have no peace with Him, we have no peace with one another, and we have no peace with the circumstances we face in this life. And it is with the resurrection of Jesus that many of us tend to struggle. Leslie Newbegin says it like this. He said, doubt is not an autonomous activity. One can only rationally doubt a statement on the basis of something else which one believes to be true. Please allow me a moment just to help challenge that belief. Many doubt because they don't know the evidence. Over the years, I've had people tell me reasons they do not believe that Jesus has rose from the grave. Some people believe in what they, we call the swoon theory or the fact that Jesus passed out. Think about what they're saying here, that Jesus was basically enduring sleepless nights, that he was flogged, that he was beaten, that he had a spear thrusted through his side, that he was hung on a cross. He had about 100 pounds of linens wrapped around him. He was put in a grave for three days and three nights with no food, no water, and no medical attention, with about a one-ton stone covering the grave. And one day, after that third day, he woke up because he passed out. He took off those linens and he removed that stone. I would think that is just as miraculous as the resurrection itself. Other people have said that they believe that Jesus' body was stolen. This is old, as old as Matthew 28. That the, what they'll say is that the disciples came in and went past those guards who were guarding this tomb, cracked the Roman seal, rolled that stone away, went in and grabbed Jesus' dead body, which would have made them ceremonially unclean as well as Jesus, and they just stole the body. Yet think about how ridiculous that is. We do not read of the disciples being you know, powerful and courageous, but rather what are they doing? They're cowardly and they're hiding. Don't get me wrong. Many of them were tough. They were fishermen. But this would be like, I don't know, deadliest catch versus SEAL Team 6. Guarding Jesus' tomb were trained soldiers. They're not just going to let them come in and take Jesus away. Other people have told me that they believe in a twin brother theory, that up on the cross wasn't Jesus, but maybe his twin brother Frank. Now, that could be believable except for one thing. Mary was there. I have two cousins that are identical twins. I cannot tell them apart. But you know who can? Their mother. And if it wasn't Jesus up there, guess what? You're not pulling that, off, you know, pulling that over her because she knows who her son is. Other people talk about how people just hallucinated. But if you know anything about hallucinations, friends, that's not a group event, but that's an isolated event, something that exists in the mind. 1 Corinthians tells us that Jesus appeared to over 500 people. When you read the Gospels, you see him going in and out of places, talking with people, eating with people. There is no way this is a hallucination. But finally, some people just say it's a myth. I will never forget this young college kid calling me up in a panic. He was taking a historical literature class, and his professor basically said that the resurrection of Jesus was taken from ancient mystery religions. When he told me that, I kind of got into a panic and I started to do some research. And I found this guy by the name of Edwin Yamuchi, who was a tenured professor at the University of Miami, Ohio. He knew anywhere from like 10 to 19 Semitic languages. 
and listen to what he writes. He said, there is no possibility that the idea of the resurrection was borrowed because there's no definitive evidence for the teaching of the resurrection in any of the mystery religions prior to the second century. In fact, it seems that other religions and spirituality stole the idea of a resurrection from Christians. If you were to go up to a Greek person during that time and to say, hey, Jesus rose from the dead, you're going to rise from the dead in a body, they would have looked at you and gone, that's pretty gross. Why is that? It's because they thought that the material, the flesh was bad, but the immaterial, the soul was good. Their hope and salvation wasn't that their soul would be resurrected in a body, but rather their soul would be free from the body. And if you were to go up to a Jewish person and say, Jesus resurrected in time, in history, they would say, that's absolutely ridiculous. They believed in an end time resurrection in which all the people of God would be resurrected. But they never would have envisioned a single isolated resurrection in time and place in history that would have baffled them. What if instead of doubting the resurrection, you allowed the resurrection to cause you to question your doubts? I heard someone once say that faith is when the unexplainable meets the undeniable. And what is undeniable here is the resurrection. What is unexplainable, friends, is some of our questions. But instead of taking a step back in doubt, why don't you take a step forward on the resurrection and put your weight on that and allow that to question your doubts? I was walking through a grocery store and I saw this older gentleman using a walker. He would push that walker forward and then what would he do? He put all his weight on it and take a step. He didn't put part of his weight, some of his weight. He put all of his weight on that and took a step. And I believe that is a picture of faith, that we put all of our weight on the resurrection of Jesus because it is undeniable. He is not in the grave. He has risen. He is alive. You see, Jesus lived in history. He died in history. And friends, he rose again in history to bring the peace of God into your life and in my life. And when that peace of God comes into our lives, I believe it'll move us to action. I believe it'll push us out in obedience to share that peace with others. And that's what the author of Hebrews says in verse 21. Listen to what he says. Equip you with everything good to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight. Through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. You see what the author of Hebrews is telling us is that being always precedes doing. And it is the work of God that makes the work of man even possible. Why? Because we work through who? The living, resurrected Jesus. You see, that word for equip simply means to mend, to perfect, or to make good. It kind of reminds me when I was a kid working out in the yard with my father. I can remember putting nails into a board and they were all crooked, but when I would look back, I would see they were all straight and put in, you know, flush and perfectly. Why is that? Because my dad was going behind me, fixing and mending and perfecting that which I made crooked. And that is what the author of Hebrews is essentially praying for, that God will mend and perfect our crooked work and to make it useful. Why? For God's glory. Mission, you have done that and you are continuing to do that. Over this past year, I have seen you guys step up and to share good and to serve one another in love, sharing the peace and the love of Jesus with each other. I saw people use furniture and give that away to bless somebody else. 
I saw you guys step up and meet financial needs. I saw people allow people to borrow cars and to use their cars to get to and from work when they had difficulty with that. I saw people use financial resources when people lost their job and they were economically in hardship that other Christians served and helped out. But not only have you done that, but over this last year, you've done good to the community around us. We have delivered over 200, possibly even 300 masks to the people at Silver Sky Assisted Living and Oki Assisted Living. And we have delivered over 60 pizzas to serve and to honor first responders, health care workers, and police officers. And we have helped restaurants with our gift card project. Why did we do all that? To earn God's love? Absolutely not. We did all that because we have the peace and love of God in our hearts through the resurrected Jesus. You see, we don't do any of this stuff to get something from God. We do all this stuff out of the overflow of what God has already given us in Jesus. And it is that peace and love that motivates us to do good and to do His will with unbelievable joy. So do you want lasting peace in your life? Do you want everlasting love? It is not found in candy. It is not found in spring breaks and vacations and kids going to school. And it is not found in nice weather. It is only found by trusting in the resurrected Jesus who has come to reconcile you to God, to one another, and to the circumstances that you face in life right now. And what does it mean to trust in Jesus? What does it mean to be reconciled to God? It means that the moment you and I trust in Jesus, God adopts us into his family. You see, a person who trusts in Jesus is adopted into the family of God. J.I. Packer is a famous theologian who recently passed away, and he says this, If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find, how, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship, his prayers, his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. Have you ever asked somebody why they adopt someone? I've had friends and family members who have adopted children into their homes, and when I ask them, why did you do that? They always just say, because, just because we wanted a child. And why does God adopt you through placing your trust in the resurrected Lord Jesus? Because he wants you. J.I. Packer says it like this, that every single day, Christians should recite these six things. I'm a child of God. God is my father. Heaven is my home. Every day is one day near. My savior is my brother. And every Christian is my brother and sister too. How are those six truths possible? Because Jesus is not in a tomb. Friends, candy is not going to save you. Vacations are not going to save you. Nice weather is not going to save you. Vaccines are not going to ultimately save you, neither are masks or stimulus checks. The only way to have everlasting peace in your life is by trusting in and celebrating and putting your weight upon the resurrected, living King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and His name is Jesus. He has conquered the grave. He has conquered Satan. He has conquered your sin. And death for the Christian is no longer a sting, but it's a gain. Because to be away from the body is to be with who? The resurrected Lord Jesus. And that is why we have unbelievable peace and hope during this time. Let's pray. 
Father, we love you and thank you for your grace and your mercy that you give us through your son, Jesus. And I just pray right now for each and every person that is tuning in, that if they don't know Christ, if they don't know the resurrected Jesus, that God, you will give them that gift of faith now. Open their eyes, open their hearts, help them to question their doubts with the resurrection. Help them to place their faith upon the resurrected Lord Jesus who has come to adopt a people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. God, I just pray that you work in their hearts and their lives. Jesus, be big for your glory, their joy, and the good of the community around them. We pray all this in your name, Jesus. 